Hello everyone. I hope you've had a chance to have a look at the first two books in this reading list series, but today I'd like to talk about the third book, and that one is this, The Sympathy of Things, Ruskin and the Ecology of Design by Lars Spoybrook. I hope I've pronounced that right. Sorry, Lars, if I haven't. Um, this is a very, very good book, and it's very much more of a theory book than the last one, the pattern language that I covered. Um, I'm going to go through it in slightly more detail than the last two. And the reason for that is I think that the value in this book is particularly high um, from a sort of theoretical perspective. And this is the theory of architecture after all, um, or a derivative of it. So I thought, why not do a little more of a detailed dig and talk about why I like this book and why I think it's important. So I want to start out by sort of giving you a brief overview of what the book's about. The The... Subtitle is Ruskin and the Ecology of Design, and the book is very much centered around John Ruskin um, and his work, but it's by no means a biography of any sort. Um, Lars uses, I'll use Lars's first name because it's easier to pronounce. Um, Lars uses the Ruskin's work and his philosophy and his writing as the basis of effectively a set of theories and a treatise of his own. Um, which he builds on that, um, which he calls Gothic ontology, or as one of the terms he uses is Gothic ontology, um, and the digital nature of Gothic. And the whole sort of book is centered around the different aspects of that and how it's oriented together. And I thought the the blurb and the there's some quotes on this book, are, they're particularly useful in giving you an idea of what this book is actually about. Um, I should say as well, this is the second edition the first edition is actually the one that I read, which is green, like this. Um, I have read the preface to the second edition, and it seems he's only made minor changes. Um, if anything, obviously, of course, I'd recommend reading the second edition. Um, it's thinner and therefore cheaper, which is always good. Architecture books are way too expensive, so good idea on that one, Lars. Um, so, yeah, I'm going to read a couple of the things from the blurb on the back, just to give you an idea, and then we'll go into a little bit more of a dig into some of the other quotes. So the first quote on the back is from Tim Ingold, who is a professor and chair in social anthropology at the University of Aberdeen, and he says this. The Sympathy of Things is an astonishing and visionary work. I have never before come across a book so brimming with insight, written with such feeling, and so keenly in touch with life. Ostensibly a med mediation, sorry, meditation, on the over of John Ruskin, what Spoybrook offers us is an intoxicating meditation on art, architecture, and design that soars above the ponderous dead weight of thing theory to luxuriate in the unruly and exuberant proliferation of the things themselves. Yeah, get used to some slightly more complex language in this book, by the way. I wouldn't call it a difficult read, but it's not an easy read. It's a challenging read. Let's say a challenging read. Um... Second quote's from Jane Bennett, Professor of Political Science at John Hopkins University. And she says, Spoyrick offers us a fascinating ex exploration of the sympathetic forces traversing, infusing, composing, and affecting us and other bodies. This wondrous book will change the way you experience the world and shake up established notions of causality, agency, and life. Um, there is a lot of ontology uh, in this book. I mean, the, like I say, he talks a lot about digital... Uh, nature of gothic and um, gothic ontology um, which I think is a fantastic term by the way gothic ontology really really fits into like the 
the way I personally think um, architecture and, and many other things should be um, composed, I guess. Um, I'll read the first bit of the blurb as well, because it does, it does actually, unlike most blurbs, it does set out reasonably well what the book covers. So, if there is one thing we can learn from John Ruskin, it is that each age must find its own way to beauty, writes Lars Spoybrek in The Sympathy of Things, his groundbreaking work which proposes a radical new aesthetics for the digital age. Spoybrek argues that we must undo the 20th century and learn to look anew at the insights of the 19th century art critic John Ruskin, from whom he distills pointers for the contemporary age. Presenting a broad aesthetic philosophy which entangles architecture, art history, design, craft, and the digital to rich, to rich effect, Spoybrek explores the romantic notion of sympathy, a core concept in Ruskin's aesthetics, reevaluating it as the driving force of the 21st century aesthetic experienced. Um, yeah, again, that gives a reasonable impression. I'm going to read a couple more of the quotes from the from the um, beginning of the book, just because I think they also provide good reviews. And then that's the benefit of a second edition, of course, is that because it's been out, a fair few people have read it and therefore commented on it. And of course, the best comments get included in the second edition, because why wouldn't you? Um, so first one from Mario Carpo, who's uh, Rainer Bannon Professor of Architectural History and Theory at the Bartlett. John Ruskin did not like machines. He thought that mechanical machines make everything look the same. Lars Boebrek, a protagonist of the digital turn in architecture and a scholar, shows that today's digital tools vindicate John Ruskin's plea for the animation of artisan making. This book offers an anticipation of our technological future, as well as an understanding of our pre-mechanical past. And then a short one from Charles Jenks. If Spoybrook, like Ruskin, does not shake your design and aesthetic concepts, you haven't understood him. And yeah, like I say, this book does take a little bit of thinking and understanding. I think I made more notes and comments in this than uh, many other books that I've read at the same time. Yeah, I think that about covers it. So I'm going to go through the chapter list as well now. And the chapter list in this is perhaps slightly less helpful than the previous two in understanding what it's about. Um, it's organized into four key chapters, each with four um, subsections, or let's call them parts. Um, so chapter one, the digital nature of Gothic. Part one, Ruskin, the nature of Gothic. Part two, craft and code. Part three, I believe in things. Chapter two, the matter of ornament. I won't go through all of them, um, just the chapters. Chapter three, abstraction and sympathy. Chapter four, the radical picturesque. Um, I did want to cover a quote, though, which I've highlighted in the, at the end of the preface in the first edition, um, which I think summarizes the state of affairs and what this book tries to address quite well. Um, and that is this. I think that if there is one thing we can learn from John Ruskin, it is that each age must find its own way to beauty. And in our case, this means finding our way back to beauty, since we seem to have lost sight of it completely. One cannot simply hope to survive a hundred-year obsession with fracture and fragment by accident. As I say at one point in this book, so much has been destroyed that, we, that to have any hope of retaining it, we must learn a forgotten language, make it new, and speak up until we are heard. And I quite like that quote. I think that, that summarizes what the sort of, I guess, the uh, agenda, I suppose, of this book, if, if there is one. But I wouldn't, I wouldn't 
denigrate it by trying to call it a manifesto because it's far more sophisticated than that. Um, there was one other quote that I wanted to say. Oh, he talks about um, the difference between empathy and sympathy, obviously with the book being called The Sympathy of Things. Um, and he talks about the the nature of uh, empathy as a sort of psychological phenomenon rather than an architectural or an aesthetic one. Um, and he says at one point, contemporary empathy is only a faint echo of classical sympathy, nothing but a psychological residue of what originally lay at the heart of all, re- all the relations within the realms of the animate and inanimate. And a lot of this book is about that. It's about um, the relations between things, the ontology of things, how they organize with each other aesthetically and ontologically. Um, and I think that's that's what makes it so interesting from a theoretical point of view, is that it's not merely a, a book about particular buildings or particular architecture. It's about the philosophy, and it's about the, the actual the core principles of what it is that you're doing when you're designing um, and where that comes from as well. And he and he uses Ruskin as a basis for that. And Ruskin's work is more applicable. I mean, you realize quite quickly that Ruskin's work is much more applicable than you think it is, even though it's over 100 years old now. And what he does is he... Larsen says he he reframes it in a in a way that applies to the the digital and the contemporary and the the way that architecture and aesthetics are now um, and the state that they're in now and says why we need to reconsider things as Ruskin did um, or in the ways Ruskin did um, if we're going to improve them and and create a sympathy of things effectively. Um, so this is very much the third book I would recommend. There's one thing else, one other thing I wanted to talk about as well, uh, more generally, although it is particularly helpful in this book, which is bibliographies. So the bibliography in this book is 15 pages long, and I'm sure the academics amongst you will be like, oh, it's only 15 pages, mine's 759 pages. Um, But 15 pages is a long list of books. And I've said before that a good way to judge whether or not a book is good is to read the chapter list. Um, another way, if you want to have a little more of a deep dive into books, is to read the bibliography. And you can, or even just scan it, you can get a very good idea of the sort of the influences of an author by reading the bibliography and sort of where they're coming from. And usually the author of a book will be more well-versed, better researched than you, which is why they've written the book and you haven't. Um, so what you're effectively getting when you read a bibliography is a recommendation list. You know, on Amazon where you get the, if you bought this, you might also like kind of things or on whatever website. A bibliography is effectively that for books. Like the fact is you've picked up a book that seems to at least on the face of it vaguely interest you. And in the back of it, there's this cheat sheet of other books which relate to the book that you've just picked up. And it's a giant list right there. So I'd highly encourage you to check out the bibliographies in all of the books that you read um, or ones that you just pick up in the shop as well to see where the author's influences have come from. Uh, and if they don't have a bibliography, they're probably pop- popular literature or uh, just opinion pieces, which is fine if, if you want to sort of get, get an author's opinion from that point of view. But just bear in mind that Gen- as a general rule, the longer the bibliography, 
the better read the author is. So, but don't just rely on length. Look, look through the bibliography and see the kinds of books that the author's been referencing in order to judge where they're sort of coming from. So I'm not sure there's much more I can say on this one. I really, really like this book. Um, I'd highly recommend it. It's, like I say, it's not a particularly easy read, but it's not that inaccessible. It, he does cover some pretty tricky topics. Um, and there is a lot of sort of academic language around things like ontology and all that kind of stuff. But it's not too bad. It's not too challenging. It, it's, a, would say, a mild challenge as far as a read goes. So highly recommend this one. Very, very theoretical. But also, once you've read it, you'll be wanting to apply those theories to your work, to your designs, to your buildings, whatever it is you're doing. Um, and before you know it, you'll be wanting to read more Ruskin as well, which I can also highly recommend. So number three book recommendation is The Sympathy of Things by Lars Spoybrook. Hi guys, just one more thing. If you like the kinds of interviews that I do normally on this channel, I also do them for non-architectural topics, things around science, politics, philosophy, basically anyone who I think is interesting to talk to who's not related to architecture. Uh, and I've got all of those interviews up on my own YouTube channel under Bruce Buckland or as a podcast. They're called Life, the Universe and Politics. That's Life, the Universe and Politics. Check it out on iTunes, Spotify, wherever you are. Subscribe on YouTube. Please share this channel with your friends, with all of your architecture colleagues, with your fellow students, wherever you're coming from. I'd love to expand this channel and do more interviews. I've got lots of interviews lined up, but check out the other channel as well. Thanks a lot.